Welcome to the Abundant Grace Podcast, where we discuss the gospel, freedom in Christ, and victorious Christianity. My name is Emily Lewis, and I am so honored that you are here. Sometimes Christianity can feel complicated or become heavy. I'm here to lighten that load. I pray that the chats had on this broadcast will empower and encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Hi there, friends. Real quick before we get into today's episode with Lynn, I have an announcement for you. The boot camp that I was planning to run this week, for a few different reasons, it did not work out. But the good news is I am going to instead host a free class on Saturday. That's this Saturday, March 27th. And we're going to be talking all about our relationship with God and how our view of him can really set us free in so many different areas. And I know that might sound simplistic, but it really is transformative and healing. And when you join me in this, I know that it will be a blessing because basking in who God is and his character and the depth of the Trinity and all of that is, it's just powerful and so worth our time to spend, right? You can head to the link in the show notes. And now here is today's episode with Lynn. In the show notes, there are a ton of resources. She even gives out her phone number, email address, as well as the resources that she mentions in this interview. It was such a blessing to sit down with her because she really understands God's grace and has been transformed completely in her own relationship with God through Jesus. So I know that it will be a blessing to you as you listen in. Welcome to this week's episode of the Abundant Grace Podcast. Today, I get to sit down with Lynn Wilder and talk about her story coming out of performance-based religion and cover what we can look for in performance-based religion and how we can actually be walking out grace. So welcome to the show, Lynn. Oh, thank you, Emily. I'm so glad to be here. I'm just um, taken back to that place of how miraculous it is that God reached in and saved me from a place of performance-based religion. I, I'm in awe of where I was right. and where God has broadened me. I'm in awe of the fact that an amazing and kind God would reach down into my life and open my eyes to some of these issues and completely change my life, my heart. Um, my actions, my relationships, Mm. and certainly the way that I live my life. Already yesterday, I apologized to two people. I think I'm so much more aware now that I know about grace, um, how much I need to offer grace, right, to other Mm -hmm. people, and how much I don't know as much as I think I do. Mm, right. <laughs> and, and that I need this dependence on a wonderful God who um, loves me and knows so much more than I do about what's better for me. And mm-hmm. um, we off, often, I fall short of offering that grace to other people, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you would say that everything is different. It sounds like 
Oh my goodness. You would not even recognize a photograph of me uh, from 15 years ago mm. when, before I found Jesus. And now, I mean, literally my chin was up, like there was a bit of pride, you know, mm. I was so sure of myself. Um, and it's not that I don't, I'm not sure of myself. I have this peace now, but the peace is in, in Christ. And the peace is not to compare myself with other people or to think that I'm better than other people, but just to be grateful literally for every day to be on the earth mm -hmm. and to be in Christ and for him to use me, right? Um, yes. We are simply his broken vessels. And sometimes he steps inside and does stuff through us. And that's so exciting to yes. me. Mm -hmm. So I was once a professor at Brigham Young University. Brigham Young University has 36,000 students. It's a large school. It's a level two research university, very well-respected university, hard to get into. Probably um, entrance numbers like Yale and Harvard and Stanford, I would say, with BYU students. I used to be on the admissions committee. Um, but it's owned and operated by the Mormon church. Okay. And in order to work there as a professor, they're looking for people with PhDs who also have a status in the Mormon church with temple recommends. So in the Mormon church, in order to be righteous and work your way to the highest heaven, they believe there are three heavens. You need to have a temple recommend. You need to go to the temple regularly and you need to do a whole string of good works till the end of your life. So that if you've done enough, God's grace might kick in and save you. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly what Islam teaches, right? Mm. You've got this balance of good works and bad works. And if you've done enough good works by the end of your life, Allah might decide to save you. Wow. Yeah. Amazing how many similarities there are among the performance-based religions. Performance-based religion in my way of thinking is outside of the body of Christ. There's just no, this is not right doctrine according to the New Testament. Mm -hmm. Right. So would you, do you want to hear more of the story? I would love to hear what opened your eyes and how did you begin to see that this was different uh, from the way you were living? Well, there are a number of quirky things about Mormonism that even, even strong Mormons are kind of aware of, but a lot of us ignore them. We, we put them on a shelf and ignore the fact that that didn't rub right. So in the 1980s, I read a book called Saints by a Mormon author, and it talked about the polygamy in original Mormonism and Joseph Smith and how he had secret wives and how some of them were very young and how 11 of them had been married to other men when he took the, um, and, you know, these are things that active Mormons typically are not aware of, although now with the internet, you know, those things. So I took that in, but oh, oh, Mormons are such good people. I mean, yeah, that seems wrong, but 
Okay, okay, I'm sure there's a good explanation, right? Put that on the shelf. In the 1980s, there was uh, something called the Mormon murders. There was a man who stepped forward with a bunch of supposed ancient documents that, that he had created and he was selling to the Mormon church and they were paying him millions of dollars for these supposed historical documents for the Mormon church. And then all of a sudden he blew up in his car a couple of other people were were Ooh. blown up i mean it was kind of a big deal and i remember the mormon church telling us do not read don't read about that right um and performance-based religion likes to tell you what to do and what not to do well i'm an academic i immediately went to that book and wrote read all about it thinking how how did the mormon prophet not know that he had forged these documents isn't he a man of God isn't he the one mm. person that God speaks to so that was quirky for me and of course I never liked the idea of polygamy Mormonism Doctrine and Covenants 132 still teaches Mormons that um, polygamy is an eternal principle will be lived by the faithful in the next life even though they technically don't live it in this life, it's possible to go to a Mormon temple and be sealed to more than one woman and, and then expect to have them in the next life. In fact, I think it's the current prophet now that's sealed to more than one, one woman. Mm. Okay, so polygamy was a real problem for me. Of course, Mormons believe you can become a god. And so there's a whole like patriarchal priesthood male only thing tied up in all of that which most women <laughs> at some point have a hard time with right the job of mormon woman is to have lots of babies in this life and in the next life and then to be submissive to a priesthood husband who makes decisions and that kind of thing um but as a professor i had a somewhat of a status well, here's the interesting thing. My background is 20 years of working with juvenile delinquents, working in the inner city, um, and working with folks in gangs and drugs. And so I had encountered a lot of diverse cultures in my work over the years. So I get to BYU, and BYU is in trouble with their accrediting agency for not teaching diversity, which, of course, all universities now have to teach or diversity. Mm. So I'm the new professor on the block. They assigned me to teach diversity. Well, I had a background anyway, where I was really comfortable with that, love doing that, right? And yet my boss apologized to me. We don't like social justice. We don't, you, mm. you can't use the term social justice. Well, then I started going, why? What's mm -hmm. the problem with Mormonism and different cultures? Is there a problem? My students at BYU in my diversity class, as I'm teaching that all cultures are equal, right? They're telling me, no, they're not. Dark mm. skin is less than white. And I remember saying to one of my students, one of the first days, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like, where did you get that? Mm. She said, oh, I'm pretty sure it's in the Bible. As a Mormon, I didn't trust the Bible. We were taught not to trust the Bible. So my brain went, oh, that's stupid Bible. 
right? Mm. It says something like that. It was still a couple of years before I found out that dark skin is a curse is literally in the Book of Mormon and in the Pearl of Great Price, which are both Mormon scriptures. And it says it 27 times. There's I didn't no, know that. Well, of course, it's not something the church brings. And of course, they love to say they're not racist and all of their PR stuff. They want to make sure there are all kinds of diverse faces and stuff. Those scriptures are still there. Mm-hmm. So I'm at BYU teaching diversity, and God is just softening my heart over this issue. I went to high school during the civil rights movement. I was actually on the street listening to the Black preachers. It seemed like a, a fair social justice thing to me, right? And so here I am years later in this very legalistic place with some people that have had a real racist history. I mean, Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, the early prophets of the Mormon church were quite racist. Church loves to say, oh, Joseph Smith wasn't, but Joseph Smith's the one who brought the Mormon scriptures here, right? So if the Mormon scriptures say dark skin is a curse 27 times, that either points to him or the God that he was following who was telling him to write those things Mm -hmm. down. So I was beginning to feel uncomfortable in this legalistic system where you had to do, 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 do. Now, here's the funny thing, though. I'm doing, 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 and I have this position where other people are looking at me as if I'm better than others because I am doing, 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 right? Mm, I'm teaching at BYU. I've got the... Um, the little temple recommend. I've got the good husband. All of my sons have served Mormon missions. You know, we're just doing so well. And that's what we thought we had to do in order to please God. God sends my third son on his Mormon mission, Micah Wilder. Y'all have to look his testimony up. Just type in ex-Mormon incredible testimony. (laughs) Goes on a Mormon mission, tries to convert a Baptist pastor who challenges him to simply go home and read the Bible Mm. and to try to figure out what the gospel is. I mean, of course, he takes him to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, tells him he's saved by grace, not by works. And that he might, that he don't believe what I say, just go home and see what God says, right? So this little 19-year-old Mormon missionary begins to read the Bible. And over 20 months of time, Mm. he realizes, wow, this is not the gospel of Mormonism. This is a much bigger God. This God saves by grace gives his life to the God of the Bible within three weeks of the end of his mission. And he'd been a leader in his Mormon mission. (laughs) Gets a phone call from his leader who says, Micah, it's almost the end of your mission. We'd like you to stand in front of about 60 other missionaries and bear testimony of what you've learned over the last two years on your Mormon mission. And that boy had had such a profound encounter with the God of grace that he stood and professed that he was saved by grace, that he knew that what Jesus had done for him on the cross was enough. And it was nothing that he had done or could do, 
right? Well, that hits against Mormonism. Mm-hmm. In order to have a Mormon testimony, you have to have five points. And the okay. first one would be things like uh, Joseph Smith was a prophet of God, restored the one true church. Uh, the Book of Mormon is true. We have a current prophet today who speaks for God. And then at the very end, they say, and Jesus is your savior. And like I said, the more he started hearing that Mormon testimony, the more it occurred to him, it's like Jesus was an add-on at the end, right? It was all about the Mormon priesthood, the Mormon rules, Mormon tithing, Mormon temples, Mormon people, Mormon priesthood. And um, it all became clear to him. Well, he was sent home in disgrace from his Mormon mission. They tried to excommunicate him from the church. My husband was so confused. Why is he in trouble for professing a God of grace? Don't we have the same God as right. the New Testament? Mm-hmm. Mike and I put him on a plane and got him to Florida. We were in Utah at the time where he had another job waiting for him. But before he got on the plane, he begged his very Mormon parents, mom and dad, please just open the Bible and read the New Testament as a child with new eyes like you've never, mm. never read it before. And someone at that time actually gave me an NIV version. So Mormons use King James, right? And so mm-hmm. when I would read King James, I would see Mormonism all over the top of it, because that was the gospel that I had learned. Right. So, so when I got a different version of the Bible, it was like it was new. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure God just used that to speak to me. Very first verse I opened and read was John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word and the word, I think that's Jesus. I went and the Mm. word was with God and the word was God. And I went, Jesus wasn't God from the beginning. He earned his Godhood. That's what Mormonism had taught me for 30 years. And so right there, the first time I humbled myself to look into the word, right? Then God removes the veil and it becomes clear to me. So on 10 months, I'm reading the Bible feverishly. The weirdest thing happened. I couldn't put it down. Uh (laughs) People will call me now in ministry and say, and they'll be Mormon and say, I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't put the Bible down. And I think, oh my Lord, the Holy Spirit has just reached in and touched this person's life. And they don't even know Mm. the grace that has happened to them. They don't even know, right? I was totally (laughs) unaware, except Micah just said, read the word. After 10 months of just this obsessive, who is this God? What is this? And then as I began to trust in him and trust in his word, he would frequently show up for me, like answer prayers or somebody would just walk up to me and and answer a question I have. It was the most bizarre. I'd never lived in that kind of supernatural place before where I knew that Jesus was real and that Jesus loved me, and that he knew everything I was thinking, Mm. and that he cared about my 
concerns and my questions. Right. That kind of a God was not the God I knew in performance-based religion. In performance-based religion, it was all about me. I was me focused because I'm constantly trying to check off the boxes of what I'm supposed to do that he might be pleased with me that I might be able to make myself progress, right? Mm -hmm, Right. That is antithetical to grace in the New Testament, Emily. Mm -hmm. I know that you know. Right. And I think what you said about the doing, doing, doing in order to please God is because some people will counter and say, well, no, it is all grace, but you have to do this to please God. And then it's, isn't that a, I feel like that's a tricky conversation because God does call us to obedience, but it's not like we're, our standing with him is so sure. Our, his love is so unconditional. Can you, can you talk about that? Oh, I love that. Yes. I can tell you how it was before and after when I was in performance-based religion, I wanted to know what the rules were. And then I was going to be the best at ticking off all the rules, right? That God might love me. The book of Mormon says, um, if you live the commandments that you'll be blessed both temporally and spiritually, So you'll get answers to your prayers if you're doing what's right. And you'll have financial blessings. You'll have house and health. And that's a prosperity gospel. That Mm -hmm. is not the gospel of the New Testament. But that is what I believe. As I'm reading the Bible, it's saying things like, I live in you. They hate me. They'll hate you. (laughs) The one thing you know is you're going to have trials. You're going to have persecutions. You know, this life is difficult. It's broken. It's diseased. We are wicked humans. You know, that's a whole different mindset than where I came from. And yet it humbled me to death. One of the things it did was open Mm. my eyes to myself sin. Once I went face down after 10 months of reading the Bible, there was just one night where I went face down and said, I had read in the Old Testament that Jews used to go face down before the Lord. I went face down on this ugly green shag carpet we had at the time and said, I'm yours. Save me. Everything changed because I was reading the word. I I literally believe that the Holy Spirit lives in the word of God. If you get into the word of God and have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, come to trust this God of the Bible and then completely surrender your life and all you are and have to him, then he sets up residence in you And there are going to be works, but they are not your works. Mm -hmm. You are not ticking off a box. But that Holy Spirit, first of all, is going to do some sanctification process (laughs) and work on who you are and what you think and what you know and get rid of those lies. And the Bible says we have strongholds, right? As to Mm -hmm. deal with these. I honestly believe that the lies that I learned in Mormonism, each of them set up a stronghold. 
And I don't know if you're familiar with Caroline Leaf. She is a neuroscientist and a Christian. And she talks about how a lie literally sets up a brain pathway. It builds dendrites in your brain to go a certain direction so that every time you come to that topic again, you believe that lie again. Mm. And so in, in the relearning process, you know, the Bible says that, um, learning the word renews your mind. If you're in the word daily, you're going to have your mind renewed. Caroline Leaf says that is a physical, a real physical process. So it's as if the lie set up uh, a drug addiction kind of, right? And you just keep wanting to go back there, back there, back there, back there, back there. In order to break that lie, first of all, you have to learn what the truth is to replace it with. Mm -hmm. And then you have to build new dendrites in your brain going to that truth. And, and it, as I recall, she said, it takes at least 27 repetitions to the truth away from the law in order to, to build a new physical biological pathway. That was so helpful for wow. me. Because in performance-based religion, there were so many lies that I believed, and then God ended up having to deal with them one by one by one. So our ministry has identified at least 40 things that the performance-based religion of Mormonism had taught me that aren't true, according to the God of the Bible. Mm -hmm. So for each of those, I had to be in the Bible long enough to figure out, okay, if this isn't true, then what is true? Right? Yeah. And you have to kind of randomly come upon it in order to get there. So my process of getting the lies out and relearning the truth I'm sorry to tell you, took nearly five years mm. of turning from one way of thinking and acting and knowing and believing who God was to this whole new place. Um, mm -hmm. So do we need temples? Oh, what's the truth about temples? When did we have temples? Why did we have temples? Okay, that's one topic, right? And yes. you have to go to another one and then another one and then mm -hmm. another one. And for me as an academic, it was a lot of fun kind of to chase that stuff down. Mm -hmm. Now we have ministry materials on our website so that someone coming out of performance-based religion can go through that process much faster. Mm, right. Than I Help can. them unpack it. Yeah. <laughs> Which is what your podcast does, I'm sure, to those who have been there, right? Right. Yeah. But I was so torn up by all the lies and then not knowing who I was. God took me through the first year and a half after salvation of showing me all my sins one by one. Certainly that pride that had been built from the performance-based religion, believing that I was doing better than other people and then constantly measuring, you know, that's the thing about performance-based religion. You're measuring yourself to other people, but you're <laughs> measuring other people to other people as well. And you think there's a right and a wrong. And if you're on the right side, you know, God must be more pleased with you. That gives you a lot of pride. 
dealt with my pride and my sins for a long time until I just said, Lord, are we about done? (laughs) (laughs) But I certainly got the idea that these were wicked things from fallen man that were in my character and that I needed to be aware of and that I needed to stay close to the Lord and that I needed to trust the spirit, right? For, for my own sanctification process before he could even ever use me as a representative of him. Mm -hmm. Uh, At the end of this horrific process, uh, we had God had supernaturally, you're going to love this story, gotten me another professor job in Florida. I knew as I gave my life to Jesus that BYU, if they found out that I would lose my job within 24 hours, probably, and that I'd never work. My husband was hysterical. You'll never work again. We've got kids in college, you know, whatever. Yeah. God supernaturally got me a professor job at a university in Florida that I had not even applied for. Wow. That's amazing. So I'm standing in my kitchen in June of 2007 and my phone rings, my cell rings. I pick it up. This lady says, I'm the Dean of the College of Education at Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. I have your Vita in front of me and I'd like to offer you a job. I fall to my knees and I put the phone out. I'm talking to God going, you can get me a job I never applied for. (laughs) This God, it's like, I was so blown away by how much bigger the God of grace is Mm. than the God of performance and works. Mm, That's good. That. My husband came home from work and I looked at him with these big eyes and I said, I think we're going to Florida. Two weeks later, we packed up what we could get in a couple cars and and came to Florida. This God is so personal. For what? Mm -hmm. Why would he call me? Why would he call me a self-righteous performance-based woman? Because he had a purpose. Mm. He has this grand plan and his sheep hear his voice. And when he calls you, you come. And then why? Not for no reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because he has a purpose in all of that. So at the five-year point, one day I'm on my face again, crying, going, Lord, this, this sanctification process is about to kill me. And I, I felt like he spoke to me and said, hang on, you're about to rise up. And soon after that, all of the burden was gone. I felt all of the sin was gone. Um, I knew who I was in Christ. I knew what he said in the word. I thought what I was willing to do anything for him, right? And um, that was the point where then he, he said to me one morning, I want you to write. And like Sarah, the Old Testament, I just burst out laughing. <laughs> you are not going to make my story public. This is not, this is not where we're going with this, right? <laughs> so I remember saying to God, if you want me to say something, 
you it's going to have to come from you because I have nothing to say about this whole crazy I was in Mormonism for 30, 30 years I don't even want the Christians to know the Christians in Florida are saying things to me like how stupid were you to join a cult aren't you a professor oh. shouldn't you be it's like, and I used to always elbow my husband at church, please do not tell people where we came from, right? <laughs> but God, mm. but God takes you mm-hmm. either into places on purpose, or he will take the experience that you've taken yourself into and turn it to good for his whole people. Mm. And when I began to write the book, Unveiling Grace, I love this because the book of Revelation, Revelation means unveiling. Revelation unveils Christ, right? And so Mm -hmm. in this process, Christ has been unveiled to me. And so the title of the book became Unveiling Grace, the story of how we found our way out of the Mormon church. God downloaded that book to me. It's nearly 400 pages and it came to be in four months. Emily, I don't even think that's physically possible. Had I ever written a book before? (laughs) Just academic stuff, really boring stuff with, with lots of references, you know. When Unveiling Grace came out August of 2013, just a couple of weeks before one of the leaders of the Mormon church began questioning his Mormon faith. Mm. He went to the 12 apostles for, for answers and they couldn't answer. So he went to the New York Post, mm. uh, the oh, New York Times. So on the front page of the New York Times, two weeks or so before my book comes out, one of the Mormon leaders is questioning his faith and it's now become public not just in the U.S. but worldwide and so it was as if it gave all these Mormons questioning their faith legitimacy right Mm -hmm. and then the book comes out on Amazon within two days they sold out every copy they printed Why? Because God was doing something with the Mormons all of a sudden. Well, Mm -hmm. he's probably been doing something for years, but that book is now we're into the sixth, almost seventh year for the book Unveiling Grace and people are still reading it and it has sold more every year than it did the year before. Wow. That's incredible. Why? Because people are rethinking performance-based religion Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out what grace is. Yes. So you said something that I just absolutely love. You said that the God of grace is so much bigger than the God of performance-based. And I think that's so such an important distinction to make because when we're trying to earn God's love or, um, try to please him or earn our way into heaven, we're making him smaller as if we could somehow attain to that. 
Um, but I, if he's a man and he right. has honors of men and somehow those things are important, mm-hmm. the Bible's real clear. Those things are not important. He doesn't care if you win sports stuff and, right. and, you know, get honors at the university and all of that. Mm-hmm. It's all about something else. Well, what is it about? It says in the Bible that God's at his work 24 mm-hmm. seven. What is the work of God? John 6, 44, the work of God is to draw people to Jesus. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing all the time. That's his work. That's our work. And we will have one little piece of that. Even if you live your whole life as a Christian and you bring your mom to Christ at her deathbed, you know, um, that is who we are is to let people know that we're wretched humans. And we, mm, yeah, we need a savior and we need a savior of grace and mm-hmm. not a little savior that's like a man. No. Have you ever had anybody tell you that you've taken grace too far? Um, I don't know that I have. We kind of have become known for the grace, mm-hmm. for the grace thing. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me, Emily. Oh, <laughs> you, I, I have. I have been told that I've taken grace too far, and that uh, just taking things out of context, like under the law to Christ, and we, because that's not what Paul was talking about there. He's not talking about going back under the law or running to the law because grace was so good. We, we do obey because his love is so amazing, but it's not just the law. The law still kills. It's still the messenger of death. The Bible says, and grace and love, when we actually understand God's unconditional love, we can't take it too far. It's not going to lead us to living, um, any way we want quote. Well, that's the, yeah, exactly. So that's the thing about the Holy Spirit setting up resonance in you and then bringing you work. Right? Yes. Again, it's not checked off work that has anything to do with, oh, this would make me righteous. Oh, this would make me righteous. No, the Holy Spirit has a particular work for you. So, and if you're pliable, and open and willing to step into it. And and here's one thing I learned as a new Christian. Oh, sometimes I was really scared. Like God would bring it to me and I wouldn't do it. Right. Like Mm -hmm. uh, Jonah, I'm running away from it. Well, he's the God of love. He would just bring it around again. (laughs) (laughs) That's this God of grace. One of my favorite stories is we were, uh, as early Christians, taking a Bible study called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. And in there, he he walks you through all the biblical ways to hear from God, because I was so confused, because I thought, how do I hear from God? I just checked these boxes, right? Um, He he works you through this stuff. And one night in the Bible study, you're supposed to pray, God, I know you're always at your work. Um, You're probably softening the heart of someone within my sphere of influence. Please open my eyes to who that might be, right? That I might step Mm -hmm. in and talk to them about you. And the next morning I went into work at the university and I walked down a hall and one of my colleagues said, hey, you, I dreamed about you last night. 
come here. So I go into her office and she tells me this dream and I'm just freaking out because it looks like this is an answer to the prayer that she might be interested in God, but she's not saying it directly. And I'm scared mm. to death. I don't know how to witness to somebody. Right. So she says, what are you thinking? I said, oh, I don't know what to think. And I walk out, walk down to my office. I go home that night and I, I explained to my husband what had happened. And do you think this might be God? And we're like going, oh, no, probably not, right? Three days later, she stomps down the hall into my office, slams my door, sits down next to me, knee to knee, and says, I don't think you understand. I've been praying about a personal relationship with Jesus, and I think he's sending me to you. Wow. Mm. So my brain's like, well, I don't know how to... I don't know how to witness to somebody. I'll just ask her a bunch of questions. So I start saying, so do you ever go to Sunday school? Have you ever read the Bible? Do you know anything about religion or whatever? She looks right at me. This is somebody I, in Florida, I'd worked with for four years, but I didn't know her personally. She says to me, well, about 10 years ago when I was in law school in Europe, I joined the Mormon church. Here was someone seeking God, and she was an inactive Mormon, right within my sphere of influence, and I had no clue, but God knew, Mm -hmm. and when I was willing (laughs) to be open to tell someone about God, he brought somebody in the most amazing way. Mm -hmm. She and her husband started going to Bible study with us. We started doing a Sunday school class. It took them about a year and a half and they were baptized and um, she's strong Christian today. This God has a purpose Mm -hmm. for your life and he loves you, loves you and will nurse you Mm -hmm. (laughs) into a position where you, where he can use you. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. And if you want to run away like Jonah, I read that this morning, I had to laugh. Um, He still is full of grace and just works with you. Right. Yes. Can you maybe speak to the person who is in process, starting to ask questions? Like, how do you recognize this, this difference? Like you've, you've mentioned many times that this is a huge process, even for this um, friend of yours, a year and a half for you, five years, uh, what can they do to recognize the difference between the performance-based and the grace? You know, it says in Revelation that Jesus is the God of your is and your was, and your is to come. I think sometimes we have to go into our was, into our past, but take Jesus with us, mm-hmm. that we might have um, our eyes open to a perspective on how we were raised, what we were taught to think. I was raised with parents whose parents, whose parents had come from Germany, very, um, I wouldn't say harsh, but linear thinkers and really important that children did X, Y, and Z. And and so my patterns from early years were that I needed to pay attention to people in authority and I needed to do things to please them. And so religion in my life 
had that same mindset, mm-hmm. right? That God surely was just like a man who was in And that's not true. He's nothing like a man. He is God and he is a God of grace, sovereign over all things, Mm -hmm. loves us more than we love our own children or our own Mm -hmm. spouses. And that's so hard for people to take in. So yes, take Jesus into your was and ask him to show you some of the patterns of incorrect thinking maybe uh, that that might have come from your childhood or from your experiences or even from your churches right Mm -hmm. here's one problem within the body of Christ because you and I came from performance-based places and yours was probably within the body mine was outside of the body right but it still exists within the body that as I help people out of performance-based religion, they just want to go, okay, so which church is right? Okay. So which church is true? Okay. So that one didn't work because you're telling me, they told me things that weren't true or whatever. So where do I go to find it? Well, If you're just looking for a pastor or somebody in authority or some prophet figure or bishop figure or whatever, you're going to be disappointed all over again. And you're going to want to turn from Jesus wholly Mm. and completely. The answer to all of that is to have this one-on-one relationship and recognize his love and recognize his hand in your life, even if he stopped a train so that you could be on time to an appointment. I mean, literally the God I know is that personal and yet we can't believe it. You know, Mm -hmm. we can't, we're afraid Mm -hmm. to test it. We're afraid to put it all together. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's helpful especially as a new Christian to keep a journal, maybe keep a journal of prayers, questions. Um, When I began to write down my prayers, then I could see more clearly when he was answering prayers. Mm -hmm. Half the time, you don't even remember what you prayed for. So true. (laughs) Six months later, he's answering it. But it was helpful for me to go, whoa, there's this huge pattern. In my personal life, he loved me enough that 30 years ago, he tried to show me this and I turned my back. Okay, then I can see here where it happened again. Oh, wow, there I was off in the wrong direction. Look what he did. He saved my life. (laughs) He woke Mm -hmm. me up in the middle of the night one time when I was Mormon and um, we we had a wood burning stove and it was winter and it had caught the fluid caught fire mm. about 2 a.m and he literally woke me up i went downstairs realized it shot the flu you know i began to see the grace in a book i call it the dancer of grace kind of dancing in and out of my life Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm here come to me I'm here trust me I'm here get my word please I love you you know mm-hmm. um but until you come to him and know who he is and have a relationship with him you don't recognize those things sure 
One of the things I love about the book is atheists reading the book. So a lot of people leave performance-based religion and they're so done with all that silliness, right? That they mm-hmm. throw Jesus out with the bad bath water. Um, one of the things I love about people reading the book that are atheists, they'll say to me, wow, if there's a God that can do the stuff you describe in this book, I'd be willing to give him a try. Yes. They don't know. People don't know, Emily, which is why we have to tell these stories. Right. And we have to tell who he is and we have to be positive about him, not always be on the defensive when atheists say, you know, he's a moral, unrighteous slave owner of the Old Testament. Well, there are answers to all that. Yes. Christians need to be able to articulate those things in kindness and in love and to be bold. So when I got to my new university, it was interesting because at Brigham Young, I was allowed to pray with my students and sing hymns in class and that kind of thing. Then I get to a secular university. It's very hostily anti-Christian, really. Mm. And in my entire college, there were only two of us who even were publicly Christian. And so at first that's uncomfortable. Here you are, now you're a Christian and you're always uncomfortable, right? (laughs) And I just learned to be the crazy Christian. People at my new work started calling me Utah as a nickname because they knew I'd been Mormon and that I had left that silliness behind. And so my new nickname was Utah. And I'd walk down the hall and they'd yell, hey, Utah, you know, (laughs) I just got so I could laugh about it. And if anybody wanted to step into a conversation, I was happy to do so. So after Unveiling Grace came out, the um, Oh, what do they call it? Like some interfaith group on campus invited me to come and speak. So I talked about grace. Of course, I'm going to talk about grace when I talk to people of all different faiths, right? And I took the book and I just laid them out and anybody who's willing to take them can. And 12 of my atheist colleagues took and read the book. Mm. And the, one of the other Christians in my college came and said to me, that was the boldest thing I've ever, sh- I've ever seen somebody. Do. She felt like it was kind of in your face, you know, almost uh-huh. like rude, like they're going to think we Christians are crazy. But I really think when you're bold for Christ and you don't have to be in your face, you need to be very gracious and kind, but not embarrassed. Right. Even yes. in the middle of an atheist or performance-based, you know, environment, Mm -hmm. you need to know who you are in Christ and be willing to talk about that, laugh with other people. Um, The university was very uncomfortable with me out there uh, now on a ministry circle and a book speaking circle because I've got the university name you know, I'm a professor there, and then I'm talking about religion on the weekend, and I did hear from them, and um, you know what, it's just in the world, the world is not compatible 
mm-hmm. with grace. Yeah. Right. Right. And yet grace is so something that people want that if you can just articulate it, people will listen. Mm-hmm. And, and I think everyone wants to believe there's a God that loves them more than right. that there's somebody, there's unconditional love. Mm-hmm. That even if they mess up, somebody's there and somebody can make it right and right. Um, give them peace in the middle of all of it mm-hmm. and keep them from always worrying about what people think. Right. Right. I think that's a really important comment that you said people want that God. And that might be where some of the lines get blurred and people think that that's what their religion is teaching them or that's what they believe is because deep down we are desperately looking for that kind of unconditional belonging and love. Wow. You are so right. Mm -hmm. So in performance-based religion, I would say I compartmentalized my God only thought about him when I was doing a calling for the church or preparing to teach something. Um, It was not a 24 seven thing. I remember after getting saved, asking another Christian, so like how often in a day do you think about God? He turned to me and he said, oh, maybe a dozen an hour. And I went, are you kidding me? Like all the time? <laughs> right. <laughs> like prayer always, you know? <laughs> I had never done that. Oh, maybe when I was, you know, righteously reading my Book of Mormon every night or when I was doing my church calling or something. Um, But no, this is a friend who's Mm. not judgmental, who loves it. He already knows it before you say it anyway. It's not like, right? He knows your heart. He knows your craziness. He knows who you need to apologize (laughs) to and why. And yet, and yet he's there unconditionally and and like I said I I found with my relationship with Jesus that if I didn't get what he was trying to teach me the first time it's as if he just brings it around maybe 12 times until until I'm sanctified and I figure it out you know Mm -hmm. and I suppose there are times when he probably has to use the negative but as long as I trust him and the Holy Spirit lives in me um I don't think there's as much of that as there was (laughs) Mm, right where I committed my life to him Mm -hmm. thank you so much Lynn it's just a blessing to talk to someone who is just enjoying God's grace and basking in it and still in awe of who he is and how personal he is I love it Many, many more people need to know. So I pray as if times get hard in the United States, that it's simply an opportunity for Christians to help others know where peace is found. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Abundant Grace Podcast. I would love it if you would share this episode with a friend so that they can hear this encouragement and be empowered in their walk with Jesus as well. It would also mean the world to me if you would leave a rating and review on Apple for the Abundant Grace podcast. It really does make a world of difference in getting this podcast into other people's ears so they can be equipped in their relationship with God 
as well. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on this week's episode. You can find me hanging out on Instagram, emily.abundantgrace, or you can send me an email, hello at emilyklewis.com. That's emily, the letter K, L-O-U-I-S.com. And until next week, remember that God's grace abounds and won't ever run out.